0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Thanks so much for being with us again. We are working really hard to make sure and get you guys all of the best information we can find, interviews with experts and advocates and moms and dads and family members with lived experience. I just really believe that it's so, so important that we're getting as many perspectives as we can and as many viewpoints as we can on the things that can happen during pregnancy and postpartum. And In today's episode, I'm talking with Diane Harwood, and she's going to be talking about her own experience through postpartum onset of bipolar disorder. This is one of those diagnoses that's rarely talked about, and Diane is working really very hard to get the word out. So hard, in fact, that she has written a book about her experience that's going to be coming out pretty soon. And In today's episode, we're kind of talking about what it is. What is postpartum onset of a bipolar disorder? and what does it look like to folks who are kind of on the outside? What does it feel like for the person who's experiencing it? What kind of supports could be useful? And really just some hopeful messages and helpful resources. Diane graduated from UC Santa Cruz with a degree in English and American Literature. In 2007, she was diagnosed with postpartum bipolar disorder, also known as bipolar peripartum onset. Her book, Birth of a New Brain, Healing from Postpartum Bipolar Disorder, will be published by Post Hill Press on October 10th. Diane has been a freelance writer for 20 years and has written for the Huffington Post, Self Magazine, and Postpartum Support International. She founded a chapter of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance and facilitated support groups for moms with mood disorders for nine years. Dan lives in Santa Cruz Mountains of California with her husband, Craig, Avonlea and Marilla and their Scotch Collie Lucy. So let's hear from Diane. Welcome Diane. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you Kat for having me here. I'm honored.
0: Oh well I'm honored. And <laughs> We've been sort of going back and forth on uh, social media and I'm really excited and inspired by the work that you're doing to get the word out about postpartum onset bipolar disorder and it's something that we all need to know more about. So thank you for taking the time To do this,
1: sure. Yeah.
0: So let's start from where it starts for you. Tell us about your story.
1: Okay. Well, I'm 47, and I have two girls. One of them, Avonlea, is 12, and Marilla is 10. She just turned 10, and I have a husband. And then I have a third child, a fur baby dog named (laughs) Lucy, who's very important to my recovery. But I'll talk about that later. Um, Yeah. But just long story short, I grew up in Los Angeles. Just typical mom, dad, brother, dog. Although it wasn't typical with my dad in a way because he had bipolar disorder. He was a violinist in the Los Angeles Philharmonic, extremely gifted, and a lot of his colleagues also had different kinds of mood disorders. But back then, this was in the 70s, You know, if people think stigma is bad now, it was way worse back then. So I never was really educated in what was wrong with him. In fact, they didn't call it bipolar disorder back then, they called it manic depression. And it was always this really mysterious, horrible thing growing up around me, seeing him go from charming and happy to a ghost of himself. And then finally, when I was able to kind of verbalize my fears to him, I said, you know, because we were really close. And I said, Daddy, do you think I'll ever get what you have? Like, I didn't say bipolar disorder since it wasn't part of the vernacular. And he'd always say, No, honey, you won't. And they're going to come up with a cure anyway, but you're not going to get it. And I just left it at that. I didn't ask more questions or anything mm-hmm. like that. So now we're going to take a big leap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I said, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then I came up to where I live now, which is beautiful Santa Cruz County, about 350 miles north of Los Angeles, to go to school. Went through college, majored in literature, and I had depressions, but I never had any kind of mania except for one very, very short little, I'll call it a little glimmer of mania. I was in my early 20s and I was doing festival production over in San Jose, Silicon Valley, where I didn't get any sleep while I was setting up for the festival. I just basically stayed up for a couple nights in a row and it triggered a hypomania where I just was acting very weird. I was Well, not even weird, I just was acting really energetic and just very different from my normal self. But because I immediately got sleep a couple days later, it went away. So no one said, oh, Diane, I think you have bipolar disorder, or that looks like a manic episode, because first of Mm -hmm. all, you know, this was in the early 90s, and people weren't even hip to mental illness like they are now back, you know, they didn't really recognize the signs, like the people I was working with. So that was the only kind of like clue. So everything was okay. And then I had my first baby when I was 34, my daughter, Avonlea. And what's interesting is that I didn't have postpartum bipolar fully triggered until the birth of my second child. With Mm -hmm. Avonlea, I did become a little hypomanic, but everyone thought I was just happy, including myself. Mm -hmm. None of the medical people around me, my midwives, postpartum doula, obstetricians, blah, 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 pediatrician, none of them suspected there was a problem. My husband, he didn't think there was a problem either. And I didn't think there was a problem. And I'll get you know into this with you and the listeners later. But when I had my second child, it was completely a different experience than the first. And mm-hmm. that's when it happens. And I've heard from people where it sounds like with the second birth, that's kind of a common thing. But I don't know of any studies or anything official that proves mm-hmm. that. Okay. So that's my nutshell. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, I think that's really helpful to give kind of the bigger perspective of looking back on it now, how you can see that it sort of popped up here and there. And, you know, in terms of bipolar disorder in general, it can be hard to diagnose because of like the things you just described. It doesn't always come out just, you know, fully and so clearly when the symptoms first come out. Um, Right. So I think that's a really great perspective for people to have
1: right right and and i've had a few people say well you know you had a father with this this same kind of illness because bipolar disorder is related to bipolar disorder so there's same symptoms similar symptoms and they're like okay it was right in front of your face why didn't you know and i was scared and i think part of myself was in total denial that there was a problem yeah, cuz sure. you know i didn't want to ha- face any kind of horrible repercussions with my family so,
0: yeah, and I appreciate you saying that, too, because as you're describing that with a bipolar disorder onset, a lot of people feel that way about any kind of mental health issue in general as it's really hard to accept or to recognize. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
2: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.
0: And I think it's part of one of the reasons that people go without support for so long, because it's really hard to accept sometimes. Exactly. And
1: just to kind of get up to date with your podcast I listened to one of the best podcasts I've listened to on your program it was number 36 with Dr. Diana Lynn Barnes and even though the focus of that was postpartum psychosis I knew she would also address bipolar disorder and what really affected me when I was listening to that was she was saying how and you were saying like you know moms don't want to admit that they sense something is wrong because they're terrified their new baby is going to be taken away from them or, you know, that's why we don't say anything, even though we can tell right. there's something wrong. We don't know exactly right. what it is sometimes. And that just, that really touched me the way you both verbalized that, because I think mm-hmm. that's what was going on with me, part oh, of it.
0: That's so scary. Yeah. So, sorry.
1: I mean, what you're doing is helping this not happen with other moms, potentially. So, yay. My Thank you. So Same
0: with you. <laughs> that's what you're doing, too.
1: Yeah. It is.
0: <laughs> so, what happened then with your second daughter?
1: Okay, I knew you'd ask that, (laughs) and I'm I'm prepared. It was just a total whirlwind cat. The labor with my second daughter was awesome compared to the first. With the first, Mm -hmm. I did not have an epidural. I wanted to go all natural, and I regretted it when I was seven centimeters dilated. (laughs) So with my second daughter, it was ironic because I had this wonderful, happy labor, pain-free, and then all hell broke loose, basically. Once she was born, I started going into hypomania. Pretty quickly? Very quickly, but still no one really picked up on it because I seemed happy. But then I didn't sleep. I stopped sleeping. As we know, that is the worst thing that can happen, especially if you have a predisposition to bipolar disorder like I did. And I started to have racing thoughts. Those were the third big thing, lots of things, was the energy. I felt like I was revving full of energy, although I was also exhausted, Mm. but It was just this weird, bizarre combination, and it just got more and more intense. Now, if you don't mind, I wanted to talk because even I don't remember all the symptoms of hypomania or mania, and hypomania just Mm -hmm. means a lesser form of mania, hypo, low. So Mm -hmm. I'll just rattle off a couple. So elevated mood, irritability, (laughs) pursuing goal-directed activities, saying like, oh, okay, I'm going to go write a book or start a nonprofit or I'm gonna do you know some kind of pet project you've always wanted to do, and I'm gonna do it this week with a brand new baby, by my side. Right. Uh, heightened energy and a decreased need for sleep. Talking a lot. Pressurized speech. That's a biggie, and a lot of people don't know what that means. I was asked mm-hmm. that just the other day, and I kind of forced myself to give an example. I don't know <laughs> if you're prepared. Yeah, please do. An it's like a weird affected speech. I'll try, but it's like you talk with a lot of energy, like and purpose in your voice. Mm -hmm. And that's not even how I did it. It was even weirder than that, if you can imagine. But it's just Mm -hmm. a weird, it's not your mom's typical way of speaking, let's just put it Mm -hmm. that way. You'll notice, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And just a couple more, the racing thoughts, spending a lot of money, hypersexuality, and then also um, grandiosity, where you just think you're like the best thing ever, like Beyonce has nothing on you. You're better than Uh Beyonce, okay? (laughs) So those are those, (laughs) and I borrowed those from the DSM-5, Diagnostic Mm -hmm. and Statistical Manual of Mental or Mood Disorders. What a name. That's the, Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, it's the manual that psychiatrists use to diagnose. So I went into that area. Now, what I could have done, as you know, was go into depression right away, and Mm -hmm. I didn't. That didn't happen until later on, Okay. weeks and weeks later in my case.
0: Can I ask, how soon did you or those around you realize that something wasn't quite right?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. This is kind of the biggie, weird thing that happened with me, and my husband noticed it, because it didn't really start until I went home two days later from the maternity hospital. It's called hypergraphia, and it is the craziest thing, Cat, It's nonstop compulsive writing. And my husband, of course, was like, what is going on here? I would write and write and write. I'd write when I was in the bathroom. I'd write when I was tandem breastfeeding my two girls. And, of course, he's like, this is not your usual behavior. But we kept fighting about it, and he was so exhausted from helping me that he didn't think, like, oh, we should get you medical attention right away. We just kept kind of putting it under the carpet you know. So that was the biggie. He also knew I wasn't sleeping and so did some of my friends and family members because I would be emailing in the middle of the night and they would notice what time I was up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, Yeah,
0: so pretty soon. Yeah. Um, Okay. But
1: but what's interesting and cool in a way, it shows there's doctors out there who really pay attention, pediatricians, was when I went for Marilla's six-week postpartum checkup to mm-hmm. her pediatrician. He's this really good-looking guy, really smart, he trained at UCLA, just super super smart, and I was like, "Oh, I have to bring him a bunch of gifts cuz he's done such a great job." This is someone with bipolar disorder. You know, mm-hmm. this is like clearly behavior like mm-hmm. I can't just bring him one gift. I need to bring him like five. So I'm like running mm-hmm. around the house with a baby and a toddler. My husband was at work, trying to find all these gifts for my doctor, and then we all get there. The three of us. And he looked at me, Kat, and I'll never forget this. He just looked at me and he said, Diane, you're manic. He wasn't uh-huh. trying to be mean. I think he just yeah. was, this doesn't happen a lot with pediatricians. Uh-huh. But the fact that he was able to make that connection was the impetus to get Craig and I to agree that I realized I had to go get help. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: I couldn't ignore it then, you know. So I did admit myself into the local psychiatric unit, which was terrifying, it was absolute, sure. absolute uh, time.
0: So you went there voluntarily or what was that path?
1: I actually did go voluntarily because I knew I respected this doctor and it allowed me to finally, like, it was kind of like a collapse of a dam. I realized, whoa, mm-hmm. I can't pretend or deny any oh. longer.
0: I hard have to place. do
1: this I know and my kids were so they were so cute and it was so heartbreaking it was and nowadays things are so much better I don't mean to sidestep this but you know they have mother and baby units I can't imagine something like that and that's great yeah. that's great yeah
0: there's not enough of them there's no. a couple here and there mm-hmm. there's
1: only a couple and I know you know postpartum support international has a page that you know, yeah. says where they are and I know you'll explain that too but yeah, you know, if I could have done that, it would have made it so much easier. It really would have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, how this was seven weeks postpartum? Yeah. That you went to the, okay. So, Diane, if you can tell us how you were helped while you were in the hospital, what was good about it? Well, the staff, they
1: were really, even though it wasn't a specialized unit and it wasn't a mother and baby unit, the staff were really compassionate for the most part. And I didn't have to stay there that long, which was also helpful. And the best part of all was that they had the chief psychiatrist meet with me and tell me about my diagnosis. And honestly, I couldn't ask for a kinder person. He sat next to me side by side. We were just like in a little sunny alcove together. It wasn't like a, you know, oh, I am the psychiatrist and you're the lowly patient kind of rapport, Mm. non-rapport. He built rapport with me and he just told me the truth and just said, you know, you have bipolar disorder but it's a postpartum time and it's a very treatable illness he was Aww. all about like
0: he knew what he was talking about
1: <laughs> he knew what he was talking about and he didn't make it seem like a death sentence he mm. made it seem like there was hope and it was not the end of the world and that's that, so great it was great so I should you know and I wish I wrote about that more in my book to be honest because I didn't I don't think I really did so I'm glad I get the chance to say this now
0: hmm Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, something that we had sort of briefly talked about just off outside of the recording is that sometimes people have a difficult experience in the hospital and that does happen. But it's also nice to hear that you had a relatively positive experience for a very difficult situation.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I had a lot of, you know what, doctors later on, but Mm, to have the actual the very first time you're told the diagnosis that at least I got that. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for them.
0: Okay, great. So before we get down the path of your healing, I think maybe it would be useful for listeners to understand from your perspective and maybe just your experience internally what you felt like what was going on. I think we have some really good examples of what people on the outside might see, that the symptoms that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. speak a little bit of, to what it felt like for you?
1: Sure. It was mixed. First of all, I was totally exhausted. That was the underlying feeling the whole time so that affected everything but i also Mm -hmm. you know i won't lie mania for most people or hypomania the lesser kind there's a part of you that is kind of you're happy and you're Mm -hmm. grateful like plus i did have a beautiful healthy baby thank goodness and so i would just you know do all the mommy things with the postpartum baby like stare at her and i remember It was good, but also I knew, like I mentioned before, I mean, there was an underlying sense something was awry with my brain chemistry. I couldn't Mm -hmm. pretend in my own head. So it was this weird, you know, uncomfortable, bittersweet feeling.
0: So for instance, like when you were describing the hypergraphia, so your husband noticed that you were writing a lot, but did it seem strange to you or did it feel out of control to you? Or what was that experience like from your perspective?
1: It did feel strange to me. And I knew, I knew something was weird. I knew, in fact, I even um, Googled it, which I go into a lot of detail in my book about this. And I found someone else like me. So I realized there's something wrong and what can this be? And I researched it. It was like also like mania. It's like an enjoyable thing. Like I was a writer. I was a writer by trade. So to be able to write nonstop with what I thought were really creative, amazing observations. Sure was amazing, but I wouldn't wanna go back to that either. It didn't feel normal and it hurt physically. It hurt physically, I was already breastfeeding, so I had carpal tunnel reactivated and hunched. Do you know what I mean?
0: But it felt like you couldn't quite stop.
1: Right, and part of me didn't wanna stop it and part of me did, so Uh it was like conflicting emotions.
0: Right. Thank you for that. I just think it's so important, especially for people who kind of have no context for what this is like, but also people who are trying to figure out what's going on for them Mm -hmm. to kind of be able to have a sense of like what the internal experience is versus what we would be seeing on the outside. Right. So thank you for that. Sure. So in terms of your healing process and recovery, what happened after the hospital?
1: Well, I was very, very lucky. This actually was a little bit before the hospital too, but my mother wasn't able to be here, so she did gift us with a postpartum doula. Oh. And in fact, that ties into you—you you know what kind of support can any mother, especially a mother with a mental illness, use? And of course, postpartum doula is ideal. But she, and so you're probably wondering, well, didn't she see there was something wrong? And she did, but she wasn't quite sure what it was. So she Uh, stayed with us afterwards and helped our family for a while. But of course, you know, we are not rich people and my mom could only pay for a certain amount of time. So after I got back from the hospital, I did resign myself to take medication, which I was not happy about, um, especially because I had to stop breastfeeding. This was 10 years ago and the research, there wasn't as much research about that topic as there is now, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but I know there are some medications that are relatively safe or safer with breastfeeding, but I just had to stop. And that was hard, but I knew at least I did it. I knew I had to do it. So I just resigned myself. So, and for me, Kat, I tell people I'm kind of like, it took me a long time to recover a lot more than most, it will take most people. But wait, help me with this one, okay? It did. Mm -hmm. This is where I don't want to scare people, but it took me like until 2013, really, to get better. And this started in 2007. For me, it took a lot longer than most moms because I had something called treatment-resistant bipolar depression. So I had to try a lot of different medications. Some of them helped a little bit. Most of them didn't do anything. And a few had very bad effects. And that's just how it is sometimes. Other moms find medications right away that help, Mm -hmm. and, and they never have to worry about it. But then when I was at my most vulnerable, I just had something happen that kind of sent me over the edge. And I think most people understand this. I was already very depressed. And then my dad, who was basically my best friend besides my husband, passed away. And, you know, and I still miss him a lot. When I told him about my diagnosis, he cried. I mean, he felt responsible for bipolar. Mm. And so, and I knew he was going to die. Every day I dreaded the phone call. And finally the phone call came. I told Mm. Craig I felt... I didn't have a plan. I'm not going to go into detail because I know it's upsetting, but I didn't feel good. I didn't feel safe, and I asked him to take me to the hospital, to the ER. And at that point, keep in mind, no medications had worked, and I had read a wonderful, wonderful book by a therapist named Martha Manning called Undercurrents. And here she was a therapist, and she had terrible depression, and she decided to opt for electroconvulsive therapy, which is also known as ECT or even electroshock. And she had it done and it saved her life. And I, I remembered that book. And I, mm-hmm. I talked to my psychiatrist and I told him, you know, I don't want to do this, but I just feel like nothing else is helping. So I do want to do this. And so yeah. we did it. It didn't solve my life's problems, but it brought me out of the dark side and it was, it did save my life. And I didn't, That's Amazing. a lot of people, it's very controversial. A lot of people say bad things about it. But for me, it was a really positive experience and I didn't have, the major side effect is memory loss. I had minimal memory loss, although we joke around because how do you know if you've had a lot of memory loss? Or... Yeah. <laughs> no, I knew. I mean, I did have some at first, but it totally mm-hmm. got better. So mm-hmm. I was very, very grateful that existed back then. You know, like I said, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but I also wanted to be alive, to be with my children and my yeah. dad my husband. Right. Not my dad. Right. Not my dad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not yet. No, I
0: know. I know what you mean. And and just I think it's because these things don't happen to us in a vacuum. You are dealing with a very real struggle of trying to figure out how to, to heal and recover from the bipolar disorder and how to live your life. And then life happens at mm-hmm. the same time. This is such a common experience for so many people that while they're struggling, more struggle happens and I thank you for, you know, being open about it and talking about your path because it's not always cut and dry it doesn't I mean obviously it would be amazing if it were um, (laughs) but most people have different levels and layers of struggle and recovery and so I thank you for for being real about it
1: oh thank you well nowadays I'm excited because there are other options you don't have if you Mm -hmm. don't want to do ECT I know I've heard some good things about ketamine at UCLA and then there's also TMS uh, no magnetic stimulation thank you And I know there's a ton of research going on right now because I'm a member of the International Society for Bipolar Disorders. I'm lucky to be part of this group because the rest of them are these highfalutin psychiatrists. So I'm just like a (laughs) a consumer member, but I do, you know, hear of things going on. So I am optimistic there's going to be better medications and treatments and hopefully someday a cure. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, if if someone, if a mom needs it, you know, just, I just say, you know, be open to it. If you're that low, just Mm -hmm. talk, you know, think of it is there if you need it.
0: So what do you wish people knew about postpartum bipolar disorder and what you've been through?
1: Well, one of the biggest wishes I have is just simply that more people knew it existed alongside the more known perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, such as postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and all the other ones. And speaking of postpartum psychosis, (laughs) there's been some confusion just in the 10 years I've had this diagnosis and I've studied it, there's confusion between postpartum psychosis and postpartum bipolar, which is also called bipolar peripartum onset in the diagnostic manual we discussed earlier. And so, what helped me kind of get a better sense to explain to other people was to be in touch with an expert on postpartum psychosis. She's a consumer expert, she's not a doctor, but her name is Teresa Toomey, and she wrote a wonderful book called Understanding Postpartum Psychosis A Temporary Madness. And it's like, it's a classic, basically. And she's also done a, an incredible TED talk that I encourage everyone to watch. And Teresa. She's also a lawyer. She's very accomplished and so her quote really has a lot of bearing, a lot of weight. And so she said, "We often associate bipolar disorder, either pre-existing bipolar or postpartum onset, with postpartum psychosis. Most women with postpartum psychosis may have an underlying post bipolar disorder, but not all of those with bipolar disorder have psychosis, and not all of those with psychosis have bipolar disorder." talk about a tongue twister. But yeah, (laughs) I'm trying to memorize this and I just can't Um, (laughs) (laughs) for my talks. But so basically, you can have one or the other or both.
3: Lynn, this time of year,
4: parenting can be
3: such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place.
1: A lot of doctors believe that bipolar, or if you have postpartum psychosis, it's part of the bipolar disorder spectrum. That's kind of the predominant way of thinking. But I've had people actually negate postpartum bipolar disorder to me and tell me they don't recognize it and that it doesn't exist. And that's been hard for me. Um,
0: As they're talking to someone who's been through it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know why that is with some people. I know I shouldn't get too caught up in it because it takes away from explaining it to people who sure. are open to it, like you, thank yeah. you.
0: Sure, yeah. Um,
1: and then I should also say, so, so that's what's helped me besides Teresa and people like you, I've talked to perinatal psychiatrists who believe it exists, right? <laughs> and one yeah. of them, he is one of the top, top, top ones in the world. He's like the Mount Everest perinatal psychiatrist. <laughs> He's in Ontario, Canada, and his name is Dr. Varinder Sharma, and his name is on tons of studies. He's done hundreds of studies. And so I just wanted to remind everyone that according to the diagnostic manual, what postpartum bipolar disorder is these days because the definition has changed over the years. But now Dr. Sharma told me, and it's in the manual, you can read it for yourself if you have a manual, he said that it means the onset of bipolar disorder can be during pregnancy or the four weeks postpartum. He doesn't agree with that because he believes it's not that cut and dried. Like with me, it wasn't like I was beyond four weeks. I was a couple of weeks after that, you know, but that is what the official specifier is in the manual. So it's something he's working on that with other doctors to change that in future diagnostic manuals probably more information than you wanted to know but that's kind of like the official diagnostic criteria
0: i think that's actually really great information and perspective to have i mean there's a lot of therapists who listen to this and professionals and, Mm -hmm. and birthing professionals who you know are learning about these diagnoses as we go along in the podcast too and you know moms and family members who are like what is this and what do we do and so having some of that information is useful
1: it is, but I mean, I'm here. I have it, and it's it's confusing to me. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard to understand yeah. all this. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I'm, I'm yeah. getting
1: there. I'm getting there, Kat. Right?
0: Yeah, you definitely are, and you're helping everybody else get there too, which is fantastic. And I'm excited to to see your book. Oh, thank um, you. When it comes thank out, you. yeah. So you've been through your experience and you're at a place now where, you know, you're writing a book about it and wanting to help other people. So now that you've kind of been through this spectrum of experience, what are some hopeful or helpful messages that you can give to other people who might be going through this too?
1: I like to give people pragmatic tools that I personally use. Nothing too (laughs) hippy-dippy, but just a few things. I don't want to overwhelm anyone, but I must say that in my book, I have a lot more information if people want to check that out. But one of them is, and everyone's heard this before, but it is exercise. One thing I didn't tell you during my introduction about my life is that I, for a while, I was a certified, ACE certified personal trainer. I was really into fitness and I've always been really fascinated by the latest studies and all that kind of thing. Well, when I joined the International Society for Bipolar Disorders, they have webinars. And one of them was given by this incredible psychiatrist. He works in Kuwait and Canada, and the theme of that webinar was exercise for mood disorder stability. So I wanted to watch that or listen to that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he was telling us how we can be more stable if we have a mood disorder. And so his name is Dr. Mohammed El-Swaden, and it's super easy to explain. It's just basically you exercise six days a week for 30 minutes a day, and you have to do it at an intensity that it's intense enough so that you break a sweat and that you can't carry a conversation with someone. It sounds really simple, but it's, of course, hard to do with real life. But he studied that with his patients, and he did it himself, and he said what it does is it changes the brain. Now, it's not for weight loss per se. It has nothing to do with that, really, although it could help some people. But you're doing it for mood support and mood stability. So... I do that. I'm a little bit lax as far as the intensity. Like I need to step it up a notch, but just I go through periods of time when I am abide by it and other times sure. where I, and then I have a dog and my dog is not into going super fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save that for another time. So I, you know, I do say exercise, I do that. Of course, sleep, getting anyone who has bipolar disorder, that's actually going to be their number one thing. It's like, make sure you Mm -hmm. get enough sleep. You can't always Mm -hmm. do that when you have children who interrupt you in the middle of the night with nightmares. And that's an ongoing thing. And then I have a few other things, but I mean, those are kind of my, it's it's just basically nothing major. Uh, Make sure you take your medication. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. a whole other podcast episode. (laughs) Uh, Some people are not going to want to take medication. Some people with bipolar can Be stable and live a healthy life and not take medication, and they do holistic things. I tried to do that twice, and it didn't work. So, you know, I had to basically just accept it, that I have to take medication. It helps me have a good life. And so that's another tenet that I don't try to preach it, but Mm -hmm. I do. If it's
0: what works for you, then.
1: Yeah, it does. Great. It does. It does. So.
0: So, what kinds of supports would you suggest to people or do you think that folks need if they're dealing with a bipolar diagnosis?
1: I think as soon as possible, just assemble a recovery team. I mean, hopefully the mom is not going this completely alone, so her partner can help her find a doctor, a qualified doctor, a therapist. And then, this is a hard thing to do, but reach out for support To if you can do that with family, other family members, friends, and even your community. And I know some people are going to be thinking, what? But honestly, I am part of some Facebook, local Facebook neighborhood groups, and all the time I'll see little announcements saying, we're going through a health crisis, cancer, this, something that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know the stigma is really bad, so you don't have to say exactly what it is, but you could just say, our family needs some help. Could, mm-hmm. you know? Or, and there's also great websites, there's one called um, I think it's called caregiving, something like that. There's these websites where you need support from your friends and community. They help you organize it. So Mm -hmm. use those, use those wonderful resources because you can't, you know, just two people, one of them who has the mental illness, you can't go it alone. It's too much for anyone. And my -hmm. husband would never have been able to do it by himself while keeping a job. And also mm-hmm. taking care of our two children. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to put down, take a, you know some of that pride or whatever, and and don't you know stigma. It's getting better. It's getting better. Okay. <laughs> it's not perfect, but just just do what you can to get help that you deserve.
0: Mm-hmm. Ah, that right? Deserve. Yes. Yes. Nobody asks to feel bad. Well, now I'm stumbling on my words a bit, but it's okay. Yeah, I love that you said deserve because, like I said, nobody asked to feel this way and people definitely can feel better when they have the right help mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and your experience and all the, the work that you're doing to get the word out there and advocate for other mothers it's just beautiful thank you thank you yeah yeah well thank you so much for being with us
1: oh my gosh Kat if you want me on again I can do it <laughs> <laughs> all right I'd be we'll happy find another it. time
0: we'll find another time Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. I just so appreciate Diane coming on today and sharing her experience and perspective with us. She's been working very hard to advocate for the peripartum onset of bipolar disorder to be recognized and understood more deeply. And happy to say that the work that she's done is now going to be available in book form And I'm happy to say that her book is available for pre-order on Amazon or Kindle and it will be released on October 10th of 2017. So for those of you who are interested in learning more, I highly suggest you go over and check that out. And if you want to connect with her in other ways on social media, she's on Twitter at Diane Harwood. Her website is dianeharwood.com. Her Facebook page and her Instagram are both Birth of a New Brain, which is the title of her upcoming book. So if you guys head over to Amazon or Kindle and pre-order Birth of a New Brain by Diane Harwood, then you'll get it as soon as it's released. And for those of you who want more information in general on bipolar disorder, please do check out Postpartum Support International. Diane has also left us with some other resources from International Bipolar Foundation, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and a couple of other things I will put in the show notes for you guys to access and check out. And for those of you who haven't yet, come on over to Mom and Mind Connection and join our closed Facebook group where we go into a little bit more discussion about the things that we talk about on the podcast, and certainly a great place for you guys to exchange resources and support. If you haven't yet, please do go over and subscribe to the podcast and give us a review if you're up for it just takes a couple of seconds and once you've done that your reviews and your star ratings help other people to find the podcast as well you're also welcome to share it with anybody you think could be supported by this information thank you guys so much for listening until next time by joining us today you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community.